LifeWay Leadership Podcast Network. This is the Unseen Leadership Podcast, where we explore the unseen stories that shaped leaders into who they are today. I, you know, I went to my boss and I just said, you know, hey, this isn't working. And and I, I look back and I just laugh and, you know, also am quite embarrassed because I thought he would say, yep, OK, let's get rid of those guys. Let's get you a new team. Like, you know, and instead he looked at me and he said, Jen, if you want to work with widgets, go work in a factory. But if you want to work with people, you're going to have to learn how to love them to lead them. Welcome to the Unseen Leadership Podcast. I am your host, Chandler Vinoy, here as always with my co-host, Josh Hunter. What up? And who do we have with us today, Josh? And I'm really excited about today. Um, I've followed from afar for several years now, but we have Jenny Catron, who is the founder of the Foresight Group, a speaker. She's a leadership expert and the author of several books, including one of my favorites, The Four Dimensions of Extraordinary Leadership. Jenny, glad to have you on today. How are you doing? Awesome. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be in the conversation with you guys. And I love that the four dimensions is a, that you, uh, that you enjoy that book. That's fun. Love it a lot. Um, we took some of our team through it a few years ago. I I work with student life camp, um, under here at Lifeway and took several of our uh, girls through it and they absolutely loved it. And we're all going to go through it as a team this year as well. So I'm really excited about it. I know. I love it. All right. That's awesome. (laughs) Thank you. you. Glad you love it. Now, Jenny, you did used to live in Nashville, correct? I did for like 20 years. Oh, so wow. Nashville, Nashville, I thought was going to be home for forever. But, uh, you know, God throws you a curveball now and then. And we, we now are in Wisconsin where I grew up, uh, okay. but we came back to be closer to family. So, yeah. So Nashville was home for about 20 years for us. Did you keep your cool jean jacket that everybody owns in Nashville? That Josh is wearing right I'm now. I'm literally wearing one. <laughs> right. I do. Yes, I do have my jean jacket. That is true. Mm-hmm. You, if you move to Nashville, you just, it's only a matter of time. I, I do one. not have one yet. <laughs> You'll do it, Chandler. We'll, we'll get you there, man. That'll be your Christmas gift to me, maybe. <laughs> no, I'm not buying it. <laughs> well, Jenny, we'll go ahead and hop in here. I and love uh, it. Just as Josh was saying, we're so excited to have you on and hear a little bit of your story. And to start off, can you just walk us through a quick overview of the different leadership roles you've been in over the years? Sure, sure. Yeah, it's funny because I kind of sometimes I get that question and I feel like I was one of those people that was always thrown into leadership roles, you know, from an early age. And I think that was part of, you know, leadership is one of my spiritual gifts. And, you know, so I think that just kind of emerges pretty quickly. But the the key ones along the way, I think one of the most pivotal ones was when I was 16, I was manager of the local ice cream shop. And so I was running the staff and placing the orders. And I, I always feel like that was one of those really first, very shaping roles of leadership for me. But fast forward, I went to college in Tennessee. I worked at a, a, a Christian record company in Nashville. So that's what took me to Nashville initially. So I was in a variety of different roles. But when I left uh, the record company, I was serving as brand manager and artist development. And I was just able to work with uh, all the different staff teams that helped make artists records hit the shelves back then, back when we still had like physical CDs instead of digital music. Right. Yeah. It's a whole different world now. Uh, (laughs) So I was in the music business for about nine years post-college. And that was just a kind of a core training ground for me to really understand and work out my leadership and grow as a young leader. I was in my twenties in that era and then since then, I have served uh, as executive director at Crosspoint Church in Nashville. I was there on staff for nine years. 
was executive pastor at Menlo Park Prez out in Menlo Park, California. And then I started um, my organization, the Foresight Group, and we work with leaders on team culture and organizational strategy and uh, leadership development too is in there because I can't not develop leaders. <laughs> but, uh, but that's, yeah, that's kind of what my roles of leadership have looked like. And really the, the crux of it for me is that it's always about helping develop leaders and align teams to accomplish mission. Love and, that. uh, I would say that's true in every role I've played, you know, that I have just such a heart to see how do we help equip the individuals to use their God-given gifts uh, it collectively with a whole team to ultimately accomplish the mission that God has given us. And uh, that's, that's kind of what I pour my life into. I love that. So from the, the time you jumped out of the music industry into was, was the jump straight from that role into a, a church staff role? It was, it was. So the, the history there is we were, um, my husband and I were a part of the, the launch team for the church in Nashville and we were doing that while we were working, you know? So I yeah. was, I was, I was chasing the dream. I thought I would be a CEO of a record company. Like that was my dream job as a little girl. And I was like, I was on the track, right? I was, I was, you know, climbing the ladder and having great influence. I was working with Christian artists. So I felt like there was a purpose and a mission behind the work we were doing. And uh, at the same time, we're volunteering at Crosspoint and, you know, just giving a lot of our heart to that ministry in those early days. But about three years in, the church was growing pretty rapidly. And a few of the elders kind of reached out and said, you know, hey, we we need to hire this position, kind of the second chair position in the organization. Mm-hmm. We need to hire this role and we think you would be a great fit for it. And, you know, a lot of their reasoning was my skill set of helping build teams. And I had a very operational eye just in my nature. And um, and then I knew the church. Right. So I was there from the beginning. I understood the vision. I understood the heart and I embodied the values. And so I think they were recognizing, hey, if we're going to bring somebody in as kind of the second chair leader here to help lead the staff and lead the strategy, you know, uh, to implement the vision set by the pastor and the elders, then uh, who better than somebody who's already a part of this? But that was a crazy curveball for me because I had never <laughs> dreamed of leaving the music business. I I grew up in a small little town with a small country church. And so, you know, I didn't even have a capacity for how my gifts would mm. be utilized in the local church beyond volunteering. You know, I was a business major in college, you know, so you're like, what would I do inside the local church? But, uh, so that was a journey and actually it was a really key part of my own faith journey of being able to relinquish some of, I'd put so much of my identity in this, you know, dream job thing. And then here God was kind of pivoting that and giving me an opportunity to use my gifts for my local church, which I deeply loved and was committed to. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, yes, that was the leap, but it was about, it was a good six months of prayer, processing, wrestling, talking to mentors, you know, trying to wrap my head around what it would look like to serve inside the local church in a full-time capacity. These might go together, Jenny, you just mentioned it, but every, every person in their life and every leader has, uh, you know, a power of a moment to, to shape their, their leadership in their life. So can you tell us about a pivotal moment that you look back on that changed your leadership, changed your life, changed mm-hmm. direction, whatever that might mean to you? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and there's probably several along the way, but probably the one that stands out the most to me is I was, I think I was about 23 and I was working at the record company and 
I, you know, I was just newly promoted into a management position. So now I had staff that reported to me and I knew there was a lot on the line. I was really young to be promoted into the position that I was given. Uh, And so I needed to really prove myself, you know, and so there was a lot of pressure on me in that, in that season. And frankly, I just became like, you know, that horrible micromanager that we all, (laughs) you know, don't want to work for. And I became that girl just, and it was, you know, it was out of fear. It was out of insecurity. It was out of this desire to like succeed. And, you know, and I knew my, I knew my leaders had entrusted me with a lot and I didn't want to let them down, but I reacted in like kind of micromanagement mode of just trying to manage and control every little thing and not really empowering my team. And I went to my boss and just said, Hey, this isn't working. And I was completely unaware that anything I had anything to do with the issue. Right. I'm thinking the staff team can't cut it. I'm being so thorough. I'm giving all the instruction. Like, you know, clearly I just have to get new, a new team because my team isn't, isn't doing it. Yeah. It's always the team. Right. And so, uh, yeah. So I, you know, I went to my boss and I just said, you know, Hey, this isn't working. And, and I, 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 I was, I mean, I look back and I just laugh and, you know, also am quite embarrassed because I thought he would say, yep. Okay. Let's get rid of those guys. Let's get you a new team. Like, you know, <laughs> and instead he looked at me and he said, Jen, if you want to work with widgets, go work in a factory. But if you want to work with people, you're going to have to learn how to love them to lead them. That's, that's really good. And I was like, you know, because I Hashtag think convicted. Yeah, totally. <laughs> right. I mean, in the, yeah, it was, and this is in a corporate context. We were a Christian record label, but we were owned by the biggest mm-hmm. record company in the world at the time. And so, you know, this is like the stakes are high. The P and L's are a big deal, you know, and this was my leader in that context telling me, if you want to work with people, you've got to learn how to love them to lead them. And that changed, that changed the trajectory of my leadership. I would say I wasn't even really, uh, I, I like to use the word leadership exclusively for what I think a healthy leader looks like. I would not say I was a leader back then. I would say I was a manager and not that a manager is bad. So I also want, I don't want to like, I don't, because I, I do have strong opinions about that too. I think there are places where we do need to provide management and I think it's a function of leadership. So I digress, but I don't, <laughs> that I, I don't think I understood the full scope of leadership and what it really means to lead and inspire and influence people more holistically. And, you know, when my boss said that to me, it got my attention and it changed my perspective on leadership. That's such a good answer. Um, and I, I couldn't, I couldn't emphasize how much I support a lot of that answer and what you said. And, uh, we say, say it a lot on here, but people are not, um, a means to an end. People are the end, yeah. right? So yep. that's leadership. And so that's the widget versus loving people conversation. Yes. Another great way to, to think about that. And I think that's a pivotal moment for a lot of leaders. That, that was my pivotal moment mm. to realize, oh, these people have tools but they in and of themselves are, are not just like my tools to use, right? Exactly. They have really special gifts, Yeah. but they're the end, not the means to the end. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, I am such a, like my greatest joy now, and it's so funny to reflect on that season of my leadership and now to look at where I find my greatest joy. My greatest joy is working with uh, individuals and with teams and identifying their gifts and then going, okay, how do I use this collection of all of these gifts and passions and the way God has uniquely designed each of these individuals and then align that 
to accomplish this mission of the organization because you can't do one without the other. I can't just like develop people in Kumbaya, like everybody's happy, but we're not actually getting any work done together in, inside right. of a you know, inside of an organizational or a church context, right? Like, it's like we have a mission and there's a purpose we have to fulfill. But when you can do both of those, I think there's something just extraordinary that happens. And so, um, yeah, I, I could go on and on, but that's really, that was that pivotal moment for me. Well, we just became best friends. So. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Best friends forever. Here we go. There you go. Well, Jenny, whether it be starting out at the, Christian record label, or maybe it was jumping on to staff first time at a church. What would you say was your biggest mistake getting started as a leader? Mm. Yeah. I mean, it goes a bit hand in hand with that, you know, that other learning. Um, but I think, I think the bigger, like almost continual mistake for me is that I put task before people. So these do go very hand in hand, but by the nature of my wiring, mm. I am a very driven, firstborn, A-type, overachiever, you know, I mean, all of that. And I think there's some wonderful things in that and how God has wired me. I am, you know, I put feet to vision. I was like, that's like my little, like, personal motto is if there's a, you know, you give me a vision and I'm going to help put feet to that. I'm going to help us get that done. So a lot of those traits about me are really, really good. The challenge is that I can neglect relationship and I can neglect myself in the pursuit of accomplishing things. And I feel like that's a lesson I'm constantly learning. You know, I, I think a lot of times for us as leaders, there are certain things, um, kind of the thorn in the flesh kind of thing from a leadership perspective of they will be continuous hurdles you know, in our lives because it's, you know, for me, I, I just naturally think task focused. I'm so driven and I have to be really intentional and purposeful to make sure that my relationships, my family, my personal health, spiritually, emotionally, physically get appropriate care and attention because I will get so fixated on the goal and the accomplishment that I will miss the other things that God is wanting to do in my life and in the lives of the people around me. Mm. And, um, so I think that's my, you know, that's my biggest challenge. And often my biggest regret is that, you know, I, I can, I will put the task before people and I have to constantly be monitoring that in my leadership. Yeah. And just even hearing you say that where it's thinking about the tasks, letting that maybe bleed into, uh, not really, maybe it's time with family and friends or just even relationship with others. I think anyone who's very driven and wants to accomplish probably has that type of weakness as well. I and mean, it's, it's not a, always a bad thing, but it's something we need to set boundaries up uh, to protect ourselves from. Yeah. So do you have any practical advice for maybe a young leader who's, who's seeing the beginning of that? Yeah. Maybe um, they haven't really seen it take over uh, their life yet, but they see the, the pattern starting. Mm -hmm. Do you have any advice for a young leader in that situation? Yeah. I, you know, I, I think the foundation for all of leadership is self-leadership. And so, you know, it first, the fact that you're starting to notice that in yourself and you don't need your boss to tell you to learn to love people, to lead them, you know, like if you can, if you can self identify that, then you're leaps ahead of where I was. And so I would say be, be conscious of that, be aware of that, particularly if you are a very driven type of personality, have the self-awareness to recognize, okay, this could be a hindrance. This could be a stumbling block. And then I say it's, it's community. It's the people around you. You've got to give people in your life permission to speak into that. 
and, um, and also know, know your boundaries, like know, know where, know what, know when you tip into unhealth. And so for each of us, that looks different. So I think, again, this goes back to really good self-awareness, um, a good counselor in your life, um, you know, and people who will speak truth to you. And, and then make sure you know, okay, you know what, if I am not, if these things are not part of my rhythm of life, this is, this becomes unhealthy for me. So for example, I don't have children of my own, which can actually exasperate my workaholism, Mm -hmm. right? Like I can just like keep working because, you know, my husband's really gracious and I don't have little ones to, that kind of pull me home, you know, appropriately. But I recognize when I don't spend time with my nieces and nephews that I like, I lose joy and laughter. And so like I create rhythms of, they do overnights with me, you know, like they love sleepovers at aunt Jenny's house and we go out for ice cream and I have to have that stuff in my regular like work week because they make me smile. They make me laugh. They make me slow down. And, and it is one of the easiest things sometimes for me to squeeze out of my life. But I'm like, just that simple thing I know keeps, you know, just keeps a lightness it, you know, in me that is really, really important. So that's just one kind of very simple example, but I think you've got to, you've got to be self-aware of, okay, where do I tip into overdrive and what are the things that I need to keep me more healthy and balanced? And sometimes you need outside voices to say that to you too. My husband will literally say to me, um, you need to go spend time with uh, River and Willow, my niece and nephew. Like, <laughs> I mean, he literally, he will say that to me. He's like, um, go see the kids because you're, you're getting way too uptight. <laughs> so, um, so again, you know, people who will, who can help you identify that is really valuable too. I love that you're using the word self-awareness and, uh, talking about other people helping identify things. I listened to a podcast, man, forever ago. And I think it was Entree Leadership, and I, I I can't remember who it was talking, but there was a, a leader, and she was talking about how self-awareness is one of the most underrated um, character traits or aspects of a person, right? Yeah. And so she looks yeah. for self-aware people, self-aware leaders, because they can identify a lot of the pitfalls in their life before they need somebody else to it. And obviously, it's always yeah. good to have accountability and somebody else identifying those things. But what she does is she has a mirror outside of her office. And when people come to complain or talk through something hard, she's always like, did you look in the mirror first? Uh, you know, did you, did yeah. you, did you hold a mirror up to yourself and, and think through this just to try to create this habit of, um, introspective thought to create self-awareness in the leader's life. So such an important skill set to have. Yeah. So good. I love that. We're, we're all going to have mirrors posted up around our offices now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I love it. Before we go on to the next question, let's take a moment to hear from one of our sponsors. Do you ever feel like you don't know where to start with volunteer training? Or if you do, is it hard to get everyone in the same place at the same time? Well, Ministry Grid makes it simple to train every volunteer and leader in your church. With a library of 3,500 videos and 800 courses, you will find training for every ministry area and leadership level. From volunteers to leaders to ministry directors, Ministry Grid's scope and sequence of training makes it easy to know who needs what training. And here's the best news of all. For the month of August, you can get unlimited access to Ministry Grid for your entire church for just $3.99 a year. And you are locked in every year after to this great price. So if you want to take advantage of this incredible deal, just go to ministrygrid.com slash podcast to get unlimited training for $3.99. Once again, 
That is ministrygrid.com slash podcast. Now back to the episode. Jenny, what book do you wish someone gave you when you were just starting to lead? Uh, I probably could give you a whole library full of them, but I'm sure one of the right. Yeah. And I, and I actually, you know, like I'm, I'm a geek, so I have shelves and shelves of books, but the, one of my favorite all time books, and it's probably the book that I gift the most to leaders is a book called strengthening the soul of your leadership by Ruth Haley Barton. And, uh, I would say, I think that book's probably at least 10 years old. But it is, it is just a phenomenal book that, again, back to the self-awareness thing, but really makes us look at our spiritual health as leaders. And so she parallels the life of Moses in just looking at Moses' life as a leader and then draws out just a lot of just practical uh, and spiritual uh, kind of disciplines that we need to look at as leaders so that we are healthy and thriving and leading well for the long haul. And, you know, we can pick up a lot of other tips and tools and best practices of leadership. But I think the heart and soul of, of us as leaders is so much more critical to our long-term success in leadership. And so that's by far one of my favorite books. And that book is Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership, Seeking God and the Crucible of Ministry by Ruth Haley Barton. I'm gonna look forward to reading that one for yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah, I hope you guys enjoy it. It's, it. It truly is. I probably reread it almost every year. Uh, and, wow. you know, and, you know, sometimes we all have a book that kind of hits us in the, you know, just at the right season when we really kind of resonate with it. And that's mm-hmm. probably a big part of what happened for me. But, um, but I, I reread it nearly every year and just, it's just always kind of a recentering of, okay, wait, you know, at the end of the day, my spiritual health as a leader is core to everything I'm doing. Yeah. That's such a great reminder. Another book that we have uh, talked about on this podcast as well as spiritual leadership oh, yeah. uh, by Oswald mm, uh, is it love Sanders. It. Oswald Ch- Sanders. Yeah. yeah. I was going to say Ch- uh, Chambers. Uh, I know it's, it's, yeah, that's, yeah, the, that's that the one too. everybody quotes, yeah. uh, but it is just, just as you're saying, Jenny, it is just a recalibration of leadership starts, especially, I mean, for Christian leaders, it starts by being led by following Jesus first yep. um, so that we can lead others to to him as well. So moving yeah. on to the next question, what was your biggest misconception as a young leader? Mm. I, I, I don't think I would have said this, but I think I believed this, that my leadership was about me and for me. Right. Like mm. I, th- I think that I thought leadership was about me, you know, fulfilling my goals and climbing the ladder and accomplishing my dreams and all of that, those things. But really what I feel like I've continued to learn is that leadership isn't about me. It's about others. It's not about my success or my praise or my future. It's really about helping equip others, support others, um, give others a, uh, just a, a help, you know, in their growth and development. And, uh, I think that flip of that, we hear a lot about servant leadership, but I think we, we kind of have to wrestle it to the ground, you know, personally to really understand that, Th- this leadership that I have, it really isn't about me. And in fact, I think there's almost a so when you really recognize the weight of responsibility of leadership, you know, the leadership is often distilled to John Maxwell would say leadership is influence, nothing more, nothing less. And when you look at the mm-hmm. word influence, by definition, it means the power to change or affect someone. And we can all think about leaders in our lives, probably good and good leaders and bad leaders. And they had, they had power, they had 
the ability to affect or change our lives. And for some, some that was really good. And for others, that was really a negative experience. And so I think as leaders, we have to realize we have the power to change or affect the lives of others, the people in our span of influence, our sphere of influence. And so that's sacred work. It's sacred work and it's a sacred responsibility. And I think that should sober us a little bit. It should make us a little reluctant to take on more leadership because, uh, you know, I think of passages like to whom much is given, much is required. Like there is a responsibility that comes with that, with the, the, the role of leadership. And, uh, and so I think that that learning was really, was really key for me. And I, and I think it was just an unintentional, like misconception of what leadership was. And so that pivot in my own perspective or my philosophy of leadership has been really important. Yeah. I mean, it definitely is to a flip and it's easy for, uh, young leaders and just leaders in general to not see leaders, leadership just as something to be steward. Mm-hmm. Uh, but instead it's something to power over people and use it for our own, you know, sake, our own advancement. Yeah. But instead it's how do we get, it's, you, it's just as you were talking about earlier, how do you get the team together? Not saying I need a new team. I want to replace all them, but it's actually investing in them, stewarding it so that you are affecting their lives uh, and to lead them in a way that they can grow. So I love, I love that flip where it's stewardship of leadership. Yeah. 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 And it's, I mean, and I think it's a constant battle because the more leadership and influence and responsibility we have, the more the spotlight is on us. And the more than the challenge is to kind of give into that, oh, leadership is power. It is about me. It is about, you know, like, and again, I don't think we, most of us like intentionally think that, but I think that's the subtle drift is that the, the bigger our sphere of influence gets, the brighter the spotlight gets on us the more we've got to fight for that perspective of stewarding the sacred work of leadership and it really not being about us or for us, but it about it be it being about others. Yeah. I think it was Christine Kane that said something, I'm, I'm going to butcher this, so forgive me, but she said something along the lines, the spotlight will burn you. Yeah. You know, the, 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 the spotlight is hot. And uh, in my own personal life, I can't speak to every other leader that's listening to this, but um, what I struggled with a lot um, when I was, and even a lot now is I get so caught up in the theory of leadership and I think it's really helpful. I think it's why we have this podcast so we can learn more theories and stories of leadership and we can get our tools in the toolbox to equip us to lead and influence people yeah. positively. But a lot of times when I'm struggling in my leadership, it comes back down to a pride issue. And I think of James 4, 6, when um, God says, God, or James says, God opposes the proud mm-hmm. and gives grace to the humble, right? And yeah. so- that level five, humble leadership, good to great type language of we want humble leaders that do not look for their own good, but look for the good of others at all times. Um, And it seems so simple, but when I think about any moment that I'm frustrated as a leader and not every moment, but a lot of moments, it's actually a me problem and not a them Mm -hmm. problem. And I've got to spend time looking in the mirror. So I'm really glad you said that stuff. It's good. All right. Um, one of the one of the last questions here in the main the main session the main sesh. <laughs> what are some of the qualities you wish that you had had as a younger leader? Oh, that's good. Um, I think better listening skills. I think again, you know, I, me being so driven, I think sometimes I didn't really slow down to listen to others well, and so uh, I think better listening skills. I think just a general curiosity and a desire to learn. Also a willingness to just 
not, I think uh, not needing to pretend I, I know, like being willing to ask the questions and being able to look a little dumb or foolish or, you know, just to, to really learn from others rather than kind of pretend I've got it all figured out. Um, and uh, empathy, I think an understanding of others that goes with that, you know, we talked about a lot about self-awareness, but the other side of that in the emotional intelligence conversation is others awareness. And so not just being self-aware, but also being others aware and being more in tune to what's going on in others, how they're feeling when they're interacting with me, like what, you know, how do I make others feel? And, uh, I wish I'd had some of those skills a little bit sooner along in the journey. So what would you say to a young leader who struggles understanding the value of empathy or, maybe that they might not know this about themselves, but like right. maybe we look at them and say, Hey, you struggle with emotional intelligence, you know, like not, not to say you're unintelligent, right. and emotional intelligence. Um, how do you tell them to grow on that? Or how do you get them to care about that piece of leadership? Cause that's a, that's been a hard one to teach. Um, yeah. I, I think in the leadership world. Well, and it is a hard one to teach because I think until we're, until we've been humbled enough to submit ourselves to it. Right. Um, until we've kind of hit a roadblock that we can't kind of muscle our way through it. That's usually mm -hmm. when I see somebody open up to the, Oh, okay. I need to, I need to be, you know, I need to be open to this. So I would say, if, you know, as a young leader, if you're listening to this and you're not even sure if you're like, I don't know if emotional intelligence is a thing I need to be worried about or not go get one of my favorite books is emotional intelligence 2.0, you know, like mm -hmm. easy, easily accessible book gives you an assessment, helps you unpack that. And, um, uh, just go, go do that and go learn. Another thing that I did early on in my leadership, and I kind of stumbled into this, but now I prescribe it. But one of my good friends, we were peers and this was back in the record company days. We were peers and we decided we both really wanted to learn and grow. Um, we knew there were things that we didn't understand or know and so we would pick a different leadership book every month and we would go to lunch every Friday and discuss the chapters that we had read. And then we would help one another identify, you know, and we would say, well, hey, you know, how do you see yourself on this issue? Okay, what do you see in me? And because it was a peer relationship where I felt safe and I didn't feel, but she worked with me. So, you know, we saw each other in action so we could give one another the feedback. That was probably one of my biggest growth moments because there was kind of a safety and it was a peer. It wasn't a boss. And I think there's places where you do need your boss and mentors speaking into you. So I'm not suggesting not do that. But this kind of peer relationship where there was just a vulnerability and an honesty where we could kind of help one another identify growth areas was a real gift. So I think you've got to find things like that where, you know, you can, you can learn with others but um, if you don't think you need to develop it, go read about it or go listen to a podcast about it. Go get some mm -hmm. teaching um, just to make sure. We'll say it that way. Um. <laughs> yeah. I, I really like what you said there. It's, it's a practical way of, hey, let's oftentimes we start with let's read a book together and then we'll go sit across the table and we just talk about the the theories and aspects of it, but we never, I, I love the second part of it is where you speak into each other yeah. Yeah. and it's saying, yeah. I see this in you. Mm -hmm. And and that's, that's part that means being vulnerable in that. And, but it, but it allows you to grow yeah. and it's your blind spot. Somebody else can point that out. So that's something I would love to try. I'm, I'm probably going to 
Why are you looking at me, Chandler? Maybe, maybe me and Josh will read through <laughs> a book. He, he's an aide on the Enneagram, so he hates vulnerabilities. Yeah, so. it's, uh, it's, it doesn't come natural to me, you know, working, working yeah. on that. I love, uh, I love That's it. That's great. Well, we'll move to the quick hitters now. Uh, these are short one-minute answers, yeah. Jenny. And we'll start with this. What is your ideal daily routine? So what time do you wake up, get into the office, all that yeah, good stuff? Yeah, yeah. So I am a creature of habit, you guys. What's funny is that... I have two different habits. When I'm home, it's one thing. And when I'm on the road, because I'm consulting and coaching, a lot of times I'm traveling to the churches that I work with. But um, typically my routine is I'm up at five. I go for a run or a walk. uh, I come back, shower, get ready, do that thing. Spend about an hour and a half in uh, reading, devotion time. And that's usually a combination of I'm doing my scripture reading, devotion time. And then I'm also reading a book for learning and growth. So I usually have about an hour and a half of time spent in that. And, um, and then I jump into work. So I am a, you know, like by the time nine o'clock rolls around, I have packed a lot into my day, Uh, but I'm a morning person. So that's a big deal to me. But I, and I also am in an era where I'm doing a lot of pouring out because of the the different churches and clients that I work with. So I need disproportionate time for reading, planning, like thinking. And so that's really key for my morning routine. So what, what time do you go to bed to be able to wake up at five? <laughs> you know, I, between, I, I usually am up it to bed about nine 30. So I'm relatively early. Okay. I do read a little bit before bed cause it kind of shuts my mind down. Um, so I would say I'm typically asleep between 10 and 11. I can do okay. it six nights awesome. or six hours. Like I can function pretty well, but that's, that's a oh. self-awareness thing, right? Like everybody needs to know what's, yeah. what are, what's your sweet spot in that? And six to seven hours is I I'm good. I can function. Um, so I'm <laughs> yeah. mine is a full, mine is a full eight and I'm a monster. If I, don't get that. I love it. Well, and you know what? I mean, you might be better for it. I, this might be my, my drivenness that like makes me maximize yeah. every hour. So uh, there still could be some self-awareness I need in there. Right. It's, it's all right. What is your favorite personality test? Oh, I, so I like a lot of them, but I have, I know Enneagram is like the, the personality test du jour right now, but (laughs) my, um, my counselor introduced me to the Enneagram 10 years ago. So before anybody knew what it was or how to pronounce it, uh, I was saying, so you were like a, you were a hipster of the Enneagram. Enneagram. I really do want a little credit on this. And then you, when I tell you that I'm at an Enneagram three, you'll understand why I have this internal wrestle with it's now like the cool, I'm an Enneagram three with a four wing. So like okay. I, I, the competitive part of me as a three wants you to know that I found it first and right. <laughs> the four wing is like, now I'm a little too cool. Be like, now this is not cool because everybody thinks it's cool. So I have this tension, yeah. but I actually really do love the Enneagram. Um, again, my counselor introduced it 10 years ago to me and it was really key to help me just kind of gain some of the self-awareness, understand a lot of what motivates me and drives me. And uh, the thing I love about it is the spiritual formation aspect of it, that it's like, you know, there's just meant the way the Enneagram is designed. It's meant to help you understand where your, where your growth is and where your, your movement towards health, what that looks like. And so I feel like it just gives you a lot of anchors and handles for greater self-awareness and spiritual growth that just brings a little more more, uh, perspective and vibrancy to it versus some of the other personality assessments. So that's, yeah, I agree with that. I enjoy a lot of different personality tests, but the Enneagram has been good for me 
because it's helped push me to a healthier emotional and mental version of myself and spiritual. Um, it it gives really clear, not even necessarily clear action steps. Sometimes like a lot of tests, a lot of Enneagram stuff does, but just, this is the version of you when you are healthy. Okay. Well, I want to get to that version. (laughs) Let me get there. You know, it's been good for me. Exactly. Exactly. Well, Jenny, what's an unusual habit that helps you in your leadership? Oh, okay. So this question is an interesting one. Um, I just am kind of quirky all around. Okay. One of the unusual habits, uh, this is more recent for me is when I finish my day, I, I kind of, I do kind of a, so I work from home when I'm not traveling and on the road and I have begun to love going outside, kind of walking through my yard, kind of tending to my, you know, some of my flower beds and things and nurturing, you know, it's kind of crazy making because there's always weeds. Like I'm like, this is obsessive. Like there's always weeds, but I, I feel like it always gives me perspective on that's kind of the same, the truth in our leadership and our spiritual walk, um, that there's always something we need to attend to. So this has kind of become like my little routine at the end of the day to kind of help me decompress. I just go and I kind of get outside, get some fresh air, wander my yard, process my day, reflect on my day. And I'm kind of reminded in the care and attending of, you know, the simple weeds in my yard, that's kind of what we have to do as leaders is constantly be reflecting and, and pulling the, pulling the weeds, you know, like the areas we need to grow, uh, just be attentive to that. So it's kind of random, but that's just one of the practices that I've kind of stumbled into the past couple of years. That's been really good for me. I will never do yard work the same way now. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, it's such a good thing. New meaning to it. Yeah, new uh, meaning. You, you guys, I am um, like, I'm such a geek. I'm such a dork because I like can find a leadership example in just about anything. It makes my husband crazy. That's, that's so smart though. I mean, you're an author and a speaker. I mean, you have to have that stuff d- yeah. deep down. Yeah. My family gets paranoid. They're going to show up in a book, you know? So they're like, um... Don't use that story. Yeah, that's um, the names will be changed to protect the innocent. I promise. <laughs> that's so that's good. Yeah. What is your favorite app on your phone? <laughs> so I'm like, I'm not super techie. I love my weather app. There you go. I okay. just want to know what the weather's going to be like. That's probably the app that I open the most. I'm not kidding. <laughs> so I want to see what's happening at what hour of the day. And then of course I'm traveling a lot. So I need to see what's going on in the different cities I'm going to be in. So Simple but effective. I love my weather app. There's a uh, guy on our leadership team that's obsessed with the weather. His name's Jake. And I always, I don't even look at my weather app anymore. I just text Jake. And he, he, <laughs> just text him. Yeah, he's, he loves the weather. <laughs> One minute or less response. Yeah, that's good. Like, hey, Going to be to this. Don't go out Saturday. You need to put this tornado alarm up and you should be good to go. I'm like, okay, thanks, Jake. I appreciate that. <laughs> that's incredible. That's awesome. That's awesome. He's an app for himself. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. Next one. What has been the best book you've read in the past six months? Oh, that's a good one. Okay. So it's not the newest book. Um, this book is actually a couple of years old, but the, the book that I've read in the last six months that really kind of was meaningful to me is the book Deep Work by Cal Newport. And uh, it, just such a really thoughtful book on the, how we're losing our ability to like think deeply and process things and um, and do really intentional, deep, deep work. And it uh, really challenged me because I, in, in StrengthsFinder, speaking of personality tests, in StrengthsFinder, one of my top five is focus. But I've been noticing in the, just the pace of my world and, you know, I think just our, nat- our in our social media culture and all those things that are happening, that's just part of our culture today. 
we we're, we have such short attention spans that he really pushes on the need for those of us who are thought leaders and you know all of us in the different kind of work that we're a part of we've got to know where we need to work deeply to pull out our best thinking our best gifts etc and so that book really challenged me in that way i'll look it up what one sentence advice would you give someone going into a leadership position for the first time mm, this is a quote that i say just about all the time but i would say lead yourself well to lead others better. And that's really kind of, you know, my personal journey of recognizing that, you know, we can't lead others to where we haven't been ourselves. And so back to this idea of self-leadership um, and, you know, making sure we're learning and we're growing, we've got to lead ourselves well in order to lead others better. Again, if leadership is sacred work, then I've got to make sure I'm doing the hard work to lead me so that I have something to pour in, invest into the people that I'm called to lead. That's so good. So good. Well, Jenny, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast today and sharing about your leadership journey and your time as a young leader. And thank you for listening today. And if you enjoyed this and found it helpful, please go on over to iTunes and leave us a rating and review so that other young leaders like yourself can find the podcast. We'll see you next week. See you later. See you later.